It has long been believed that childhood nursery rhymes carry a darker, sinister, secret meaning. But is there any truth to this? Today, we'll discuss some of the research and theories behind them, go over some examples, and discuss some of our favorite nursery rhymes. One might have even been written hoping for the death of an infant prince. Next, on Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co host, Isela. How are you doing today? I am so good. How are you doing? Doing great. Our one year anniversary show is coming up. We're almost a year old. I can't believe it. I know. We have a little surprise for everyone. <laughs> can't wait to share it. Yes. A quick reminder about our contest before we get started. If you enjoy our show, take two minutes to leave us a review. What should they do again, Isela? Put this on pause. Take a quick moment. Give us a favorable review. Take a screenshot. Shoot it on over to any of our socials. You'll get all the details on technicallyaconversation.com. And then you'll also see all the details in the show notes. That's right. And once we get 25 reviews, we'll do a drawing and give the winner a sexy Technically a Conversation t-shirt. And to those of you that have already left us a review, thank you. Thank you and good luck. Quick shout out to the queens, Elena and Erica, and the Duke, Stephen B. <laughs> thank you for sharing our post on your social media. Thank you guys so much. It's so helpful. Ready to get started? I am. Great. Let's get started. <laughs> so Isela... Have you ever rocked a baby to sleep before? Yes, I have. What has been the most successful method for you to put a baby to sleep? Your go-to that you find usually works. I have to be comfortable. So I'm usually in a rocking chair and I have a little, uh, what's the word? Like a little boppy pillow. That's like a, it's a very technical term, <laughs> but it's basically like a C-shaped pillow and it goes around your waist. So it, you just rest your, your arms on it. And then you just kind of, you're really just holding the baby and you're rocking your body on a little rocking chair. That's the best. Okay. And you find that usually helps to put the baby to sleep quicker? Well, it worked for my daughter. I can't say I've done it too many to others. <laughs> okay. And have any of the methods that you've used involved singing a lullaby or nursery rhyme? <gasps> yes. Which one is your favorite to sing? Um, It wasn't really a, a nursery rhyme. It was a Sade song <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so no, I, I think the lullabies were weird and like kind of fucked up. I hate, to say, I hate to say it, but they were, their lyrics were really, I couldn't get behind those messages. That is kind of strange, huh? How they all seem to be pretty dark and morbid, like me. <laughs> What's this what we're going to learn about today? <laughs> <laughs> well, Elena and Antonio did. So they suggested that I do this topic. Oh, cool. Elena sent me this message a few weeks ago. Hey, so the other day, Antonia and I were talking about random things, and I asked, what do you think the song, Are You Sleeping, Brother John, Morning Bells Are Ringing, is about? Do you think that Brother John is dead? And we tried asking Google, but he didn't know how to help us. So then Antonia said, your brother should make an episode about all the sinister nursery rhymes. Ooh. And here we are. 
Nice. Good job, Elena and Antonio. This is going to be really fun. I can feel it. I thought it was going to be a fun topic also, so I decided that I would tackle it. Shout out to one half of the queens, Elena and Antonio. You are our first Super Friends of the Week. (laughs) That's a little foreshadowing because we have another Super Friend of the Week, which I'll share with you at the end of the show. Exciting. So according to Britannica.com, most nursery rhymes have an oral history dating back to the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries, and were originally composed for adult entertainment as ballads and songs. Although there have been many theories that have attributed dark meanings and hidden significance to some of these nursery rhymes, there is no reason to suppose they were any darker than any of the other popular songs of their time. So there you go. There is our answer. They are not any darker or more sinister than any of the other popular songs of their time. With that said, we hope that you enjoy the show (laughs) and you join us again next week. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that's so strange that it even said it was meant for adults. I guess that that is the kind of surprising part about it, that it was mainly meant for adult entertainment. And I didn't really go into how they were transitioned into nursery rhymes, but um, I did find a lot of very interesting facts about them. And we could still talk about it. Okay. Now, some nursery rhymes, for example, were even inspired by people of the time, like Little Jack Horner, which was first written in 1725 and can be traced back to Thomas Horner of Mells, who was a figure that did very well during the dissolution of the monasteries. The earliest known published collection of nursery rhymes was a book titled Tom Thumb's Pretty Songbook, which was published in London in 1744. The most influential of these early publications, however, was a book titled Mother Goose's Melody, or Sonnets for the Cradle, which was published in 1781. Now this is the, now that's what I call music volume one of nursery rhymes, because this contained all the bangers, such as Jack and Jill, Ding Dong Bell, and Hushabye Baby. Mm. In addition to this book was also reprinted in the United States in 1785, and it was so popular that a lot of people still refer to them as Mother Goose Rhymes here in the U.S. Ah. According to an article by Elizabeth Galway in OxfordBibliographies.com, there has been some speculation as to whether Mother Goose was a historical figure, with some scholars believing that she was either an author or a storyteller of tales for children. The general accepted theory is that the term itself does not refer to any particular person. Despite how popular nursery rhymes continue to be, there has been very little academic study of the genre. This is probably why Elena and Antonio were unable to find any information on the sinister meaning behind some nursery rhymes. That makes sense. James Orchard Hollowell Phillips published two books titled The Nursery Rhymes of England and Popular Rhymes and Nursery Tales in 1842 and 1849, respectively. There were an extensive anthology of traditional rhymes and tales gathered from largely rural oral traditions. Some of these rhymes include brief annotations about their origins and meanings, but they have largely been questioned by later scholars about their accuracy and meaning. John Goldwaith wrote a book called The World Three Inches Tall, Descent of the Nursery Rhyme in 1996, in which he talks about the Puritan influences that were common in the day and critiqued both collections by Hollowell Phillips. 
He also points out that things that were appropriate at the time the nursery rhymes were written were no longer appropriate in the 19th century when Hollowell Phillips wrote his interpretations, but they were being looked at through a 19th century lens. These are called anachronisms for all you fancy Nancys and fancy Sellas out there. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Oxford biographies didn't give any example of these. Iona and Peter Opie wrote the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes in 1951 and is pretty much seen as the Bible for those looking to study nursery rhymes. They talk about the different types of rhymes, their origins and oral tradition, their publication history in the U.S. and Great Britain, a comprehensive list of sources, variations, and possible meanings. Sadly, I wasn't able to find any excerpts from the book online to look over. I was able to find the nursery rhymes of England from Hollowell Phillips online through Project Gutenberg. I got about halfway through. It's not a long book, but really all it contained were the briefest of notes about their origin. Most of the nursery rhymes lacked any annotations at all. There really wasn't anything of substance. So I'm not sure why he got so much hate. Hmm. But that's how you know that he made it, baby. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the nursery rhymes mentioned were super obscure. So I went all the way to chapter four before I found one that A, anybody from the century would recognize, and B, also contain an annotation. See if you remember this one, Isela, from when you were a code-switching roller skater. Okay. <laughs> Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating a Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and took out a plum and said, what a good boy am I? Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I do remember that one. So let me read to you Hollowell Phillips' notes on it. The tale of Jack Horner has long been appropriated to the nursery. The four lines which follow are the traditional ones, and they form part of the pleasant history of Jack Horner, containing his witty tricks and pleasant pranks, <laughs> which he played from his youth to his yippy years. 12 M.O., a copy of which is in the Bodleian Library, and this extended story is in substance the same with the friar and the boy. 12 M.O., London, 1617. And both of them are taken from the more ancient story of Jack and his stepdame, which has been printed by Mr. Wright. I don't know about you, Isela, but I think that left me with more questions than it answered. <laughs> not to mention that it was super boring. Yeah, I feel like that was not the write-up that I was expecting. Although I guess I don't know what Holloway, what? Holloway Phillips or whatever the hell his crazy-ass long name was. Hollowell Phillips. Hollowell Phillips. Yeah. I don't know what I was expecting from him, but it was definitely underwhelming. <laughs> I literally don't even know what I just read. <laughs> I must have read it maybe like five or six times to prepare for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that says a lot. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with the disclaimer that there is very little scholarly research to go by, let's dive into the wild world of theories and speculations behind the meaning of some of the most popular nursery rhymes after we return ah. from this quick commercial break. Okay. <laughs> I think I need a quick power nap after that. <laughs> Your brain hurts. <laughs> Did you know there was a Doctor Strange movie in 1978? Or that Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage almost made a Superman movie in the mid-90s? On Superhero Cinephiles, we take you on a journey into the world of superhero films, including the acclaimed, the infamous, and the obscure. 
And you might just be surprised at some of our takes, because here we want to talk about the things we love, not the things we hate. Listen to Superhero Cinephiles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. curiosity is a main thread that's led me to where I am today. If I ever had a plan A, I've long since forgotten what it was. <laughs> I don't think that's plan A for anybody. That was what sparked my drive to go into this space. Where does that curiosity go would be what I'd like to explore. I'm Daniel Pointer. On Still Curious, I talk to guests from many worlds and walks of life about what lights them up, the ways they like to learn, and how they navigate the sometimes surprising situations they end up in through following their interests. What do people who are still curious have in common? and what can we learn from their stories that will inspire us on our own path. That excitement of going, oh my god, that connects. <gasps> That's so super cool. I started developing skills to cater to my own needs. It became a means to an end, solving all of my curious questions. Going through your life where everything has a kind of preciousness and mystery. Curious, creative, excited. That's what you want. What you don't want is people who just want to tick boxes. Still curious. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. How was your break, Isela? Did you stick your thumb into any pies during the break? That would be very weird, especially in the time of COVID. We're still in it, guys. <laughs> well, not if it's your own pie. I don't think I would do that even in my own pie. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? How was yours? Good. Just watching your little porgy or whatever it's called, dancing. Yeah. I like to make him dance and kick his little feet while we're listening to our cool ads. That's right. Ready to talk about some creepy nursery rhymes? Oh, yeah. The speculation is going to be super fun. I'm down. Okay. So before we do, I need to make another disclaimer. I looked at several collections of dark meanings behind nursery rhymes, and none of them cited any sources. I'm just putting that out there. My skeptic meter is reading off the charts. So take these interpretations with a healthy pinch of Bitterman Large Flake Sea Salt. <laughs> these were just my favorites from the ones that I read. Okay. The following are from 11 children's songs and nursery rhymes that are super creepy, according to Emma Cueto from Bustle.com. I'll try my hardest not to sing any of these. <laughs> okay. Rub-a-dub-dub. Three men in a tub. Who do you think they were? The butcher? The baker? The candlestick maker? They all sailed out to sea. T'was enough to make a man stare. Now, Emma claims that the original lyrics to this were rub-a-dub-dub, three maids in a tub, and was probably meant to imply that the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker were all spying on women bathing or looking at a peep show, giving a different meaning to the rub-a-dub-dub line. Oh. If you know what I mean. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I can see that, though. Like, I hate to say it. I can totally see that. If that's true, I wonder when that change was made to the lyrics. Oh, that would be a good follow-up. <laughs> follow-up podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do Nursery Rhymes Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> now, this one, I had heard a version of this interpretation. Ring around the rosies, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. For this one, Emma writes that it's about the Black Death, which I had heard too though I don't remember from where. The rosies supposedly refer to the red rashes that were a symptom of the disease. The pocket full of posies 
were the herbs that people would keep in their pockets due to their belief that it would ward off sickness. We all fall down is what happens when you die. She didn't touch on the line about the ashes, but what I had heard was that the ashes were from all the bodies of the victims of the Black Death being burned. What I had heard about the pocket full of posies was that the flowers were used to mask the acrid smell of death. Again, I unfortunately don't remember where I heard or read that. I think you and I had a conversation and we, I remember us talking about this specific one and not all of it, but a portion of it did sound familiar. And I was like, it just sounded already like the whole, we all fall down and yeah, it just sounded like no good. Well, this one, we actually do have a possible explanation. Oh, cool. According to Snopes.com, the nursery rhyme is centered around the Protestants banning dancing in England and the U.S. in the 19th century according to folklorist Philip Hiscock. Your cock? Not my cock, Hiscock. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, that's a bad joke. <laughs> Adolescents found a way around the dancing band with what was called a play party. These play parties consisted of ring games, which differed from square dances only in name and lack of musical accompaniment. Some of the modern nursery games that involve rings of children were derived from those play party games. The rings referred to are literally the rings of children. The ashes, ashes part could be referring to hasha, hasha, like to quiet down, which is another common variant. And we all fall down is when the kids let go of their hands and throw themselves down. His cock, not my cock, <laughs> claims that it might also just be words with no particular meaning that someone thought sounded good together. John Lennon of the Beatles fame one said that they would do that all the time and write stuff that felt good or sounded good, but had no particular meaning. Reviewers would take it upon themselves to interject their own meanings, and they would just keep their mouths shut and accept the credit as if they meant that all along. Oh, that's sneaky. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, I feel like that's what they're known for. Like they always do like, um, what is it, scar tissue when he's like, Sam and dong dong or whatever. <laughs> he's always like making up shit just to make up shit and it sounds great and it feels great to say it too so hey <laughs> yeah when i was younger and would write music lyrics was always an afterthought and i just kind of wrote about whatever just as long as it sounded cool i didn't care what it was about yeah i can see that i know you and i have had conversations about that where you think that lyrics are really important for me they could be talking about campbell soup and as long as it sounds good i could care less what the lyrics are about in order for me to think a song is good, if it has lyrics, yeah, I want it to have a good meaning for sure. I don't want it to be like, you know, whatever, like these converse are cool or whatever, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> it sounds like a cool song. Who wrote that one? That's me right now. <laughs> oh, wow. I look forward to your mixtape. Yeah. <laughs> it's right next to my Adidas. <laughs> oh, cool. I look forward to hearing that one too. <laughs> Number three. It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He bumped his head on the top of the bed and couldn't get up in the morning. This one is pretty self-explanatory, and I always thought that it was about a man bumping his head so hard that he died. Oh. That was the theory Emma had as well, that this nursery rhyme is about severe head trauma and possibly dying. Wow, that's pretty dark. I didn't think anybody died in this one. I thought somebody definitely uh, experienced a concussion of some sort, <laughs> but I didn't think anybody died. <laughs> wow, you guys really went dark. <laughs> Emma's explanation makes me feel better because I know I always gravitate towards the darker, more sinister meaning. 
And the fact that somebody else had that same idea made me feel a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a, what's it? What's the thing? Um, Confirmation bias? Misery. Loves company. Misery loves company or some shit like that. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't say I was miserable. I just like the darker things in life. That's true. Okay. Good distinction. The darker things in life tend to give me more pleasure. I'm with you if it's coffee. I especially love dark coffee. (laughs) (laughs) The following is from the Mental Floss article, The Dark Origins of 11 Classic Nursery Rhymes by Jennifer M. Wood. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. I feel like William Shatner when he does his, (laughs) when he does his songs. His spoken word (laughs) albums. (laughs) Now for this one, Jennifer postulates that the lyrics could be referring to one of three things. The 1014 Viking attack, child sacrifice, or the normal deterioration of an old bridge. That last one is self-explanatory. Yeah, that's kind of the one I thought like, oh, it's like a little decrepit and... You know, she's just observing. Do you want to hear the popular theory, though? Yeah, let's hear it. So the popular theory is actually the first one, which is the alleged destruction of London Bridge at the hands of Olaf II of Norway sometime in the early 1000s. Now, the popularity of this song around the world is often cited as evidence that the Vikings created it and took the tune to the places that they traveled. Oh, wow. The theory about the child sacrifice has to do with its builders believing that in order to keep London Bridge upright, it must be built on a foundation of human sacrifice. The sacrificed children would help to watch over the bridge and maintain its sturdiness. And I believe they teach you that in Architecture 101 in college, so I have no reason to doubt it. Occam's razor suggests that it's the theory that requires the least amount of assumptions, but to my shocking surprise, this theory is debated. I would say that should be heavily debated. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I wanted to tackle the Are You Sleeping nursery rhyme, since that's the one that Elena and Antonio wrote about. I'm disappointed to report that this one is not dark or morbid at all. Their question was if Brother John was dead. According to Fedez Jacques, the Are You Sleeping French lullaby on family.com, the nursery rhyme loses a bit of meaning due to translation. I actually remember learning the French version of this nursery rhyme when I was in elementary school, but I had no idea what I was saying. <laughs> the lyrics in French and English are Fede Jacques, Fede Jacques, Dormez-vous, Dormez-vous, Sonnez les matines, Sonnez les matines, Ding Ding Dong, Ding Ding Dong. And I'm kind of disappointed that Ding Ding Dong is not like Ding Dong Dong, Ding Dong Dong. <laughs> <laughs> With the smoke. You gotta you gotta have it with the smoke. <laughs> oui, madame. <laughs> the English version is, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Brother John, brother John. Morning bells are ringing. Morning bells are ringing. Ding, ding, dong. Ding, ding, dong. Now, the part that's lost in the translation is the irony that the bells are not ringing because brother John is asleep. Brother John is a French friar in a monastery who oversleeps the midnight or early morning prayer. The friar is urged to wake up in order to ring the church bells to call the others to prayer. (laughs) Now, the final nursery rhyme that I wanted to examine is probably the most famous, the one that most people would agree is pretty morbid. Okay. Yeah, the hush little baby? Yes. Or in this case, 
Rockabye Baby. Oh, yeah, that one. Okay. And yeah, anybody that's paid attention to those lyrics would agree. It's pretty dark. It's pretty fucked up, guys. <laughs> Luckily, I was able to find quite a bit of information on this one. Rockabye Baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. Yikes. <laughs> Jesus, these people are so mean. Now, I found various interpretations of the meaning behind this one. But the two interpretations that came up a few times and that I kind of liked were, one, it was written by pilgrims when they arrived in North America and noticed that indigenous mothers rocked their babies in birch bark cradles suspended from a tree. So the wind would rock the baby to sleep. And there are actually pictures of this on the historydaily.org link in our show notes if you want to see what this looked like. Oh, cool. The second theory is that it was written in a British pub during the Glorious Revolution of 1688 and was meant as an allegory about the political unrest of the time. The lyrics refer to the heir of King James II of England and the hope that the infant prince would die so the reign of King James II could be overthrown. <laughs> now, fun fact about this one. Effie Canning, the cousin of Davy Crockett, is given credit for writing this nursery rhyme as she claims to have written it in 1872. Oh, wow. Most scholars doubt this claim. Oh. Nonetheless, she is credited on IMDb as the writer in more than 175 TV shows and movies. If you want further proof that she didn't write it, this banger appeared in the book we talked about at the beginning of the show, Mother Goose's Melody or Sonnets for the Cradle, which was published in 1781, 91 years earlier, under the title of Hushabye Baby. And the lyrics are almost identical. Those lyrics are Hushabye Baby on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down tumbles baby, cradle and all. <laughs> so nice effing try, Effie Canning. She's like the Carlos Mencia of nursery rhymes. She is. Damn. <laughs> That's funny. Actually, I shouldn't say anything because I steal a lot of jokes too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are your thoughts about nursery rhymes, Isela? There are some that were a little bit more pleasant than others, but because I used to have a whole, I, in fact, I still have it. I have a whole book on nothing but nursery rhymes. Is it Mother Goose's Melody? Um, I don't know. It looked like a um, an Encyclopedia Britannica type of book. But it had like a whole bunch of really, really cool ones. And some of them were really neat. I had never even heard of a, a whole bunch of them. But I just don't think that they were nice for babies. And I get it, guys. Like, babies don't understand if you're, you know, speaking in French or English or whatever. But I don't know, like throwing that weirdness out in the world where your child's sleeping <laughs> just wasn't for me. That's just why I was like, oh, let me sing her some Sade songs. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of creepy. Do you think they might just be anachronisms, things that are no longer acceptable for us to talk or sing about, but they were perfectly okay at the time that they were written? I think it's possible, like the the three maids one, that makes sense that it was three maids instead of three men, the whole rub-a-dub-dub. That completely makes sense. Not that I think it was ever okay to, you know, partake in like a peep show or whatever type of thing, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever three maids are doing in a 
bathtub by themselves. Hey, leave them alone, guys. <laughs> hey, if I was the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, I would want to see what those three maids were doing in that tub. That's, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Because <laughs> I, I feel like, okay, it's a butcher, which is all about the meat. Okay, we already know where that's inferring. And then, uh, <laughs> right? And then a baker. I mean, we all saw American Pie. Like, let's not kid ourselves. And then the candle, well, I'm sure he can make some kind of wax fit. I don't know. Maybe I'm just already getting in like in a cochina mode, but I'm like, oh no. <laughs> what are all these weird occupations anyway? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> they were probably um, on Forbes' list of the three most popular occupations for men back in the <laughs> 1700s or whenever this was written. Right, right. <laughs> I'm kind of torn on them because I do see some of the lyrics as being a little bit morbid, but yeah, I think as society changes, I kind of have to agree with Britannica that our tolerance of what is considered acceptance changes also. So I, I don't believe that they were any darker than whatever music was around back then. These are just the ones that have been the catchiest and have kind of survived the test of time. I guess it's just hilarious how like if that was a song for adults, right, then let's think about how we've come leaps and bounds. I mean, this is, what about Mozart? I mean, Mozart was like, this is for adults? The fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? That is not music. Anyway. Yeah, but it's kind of hard to sing some stuff from Mozart, especially if it's got a lot of notes, so... True. I guess just musically, <laughs> musically speaking, <laughs> one is definitely more complex than the other. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, before we go, we got an email from super friend Cesar. <gasps> Would you like me to read it to you? Please do. So he writes, I was catching up on last week's episode and heard my shout out. Thanks a lot, guys. FYI, I live and work in Frederick, Maryland, not Fredericksburg. Those cities are in Texas and Virginia. No Berg or Ville, just regular old Frederick. And that was totally my bad, Cesar. Thank you for correcting me. No wonder I confused you, Isela. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's okay. I didn't know. And thank you so much for the clarification. That completely makes sense. Yeah. And Elena also wrote to let us know that. So. Oh, see how nice she is? Okay. Yeah. She's always looking out for us. <laughs> she is. <laughs> You know, it's hard doing a podcast where you can't be Googling everything. You're kind of just going on whatever information is in your brain. Yes. It's kind of hard. It's hard to anticipate what the other person's going to ask. And if we were to fact check everything during the show, the show would end up being like two hours long. So we try and get our facts right at the beginning. But again, we do appreciate you writing in to let us know when we do mess up. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would hope that you guys call us out. I've, I'll always listen to our podcasts after they air just to make sure that, you know, I didn't say anything bad or whatever. And yeah, I've, I've caught myself. I'm like, oh, damn it. That was completely wrong. I just said 18, whatever, instead of 19 something. So yeah. So thank you for correcting us. He continues. Hmm. I also had an idea for a podcast. <gasps> the history of firefighting in the US. The first fire departments were volunteer organizations that would often get in fistfights with each other and pull a bunch of dirty tricks on each other in order to be the first to fight a fire. They would do this so they could get paid by the insurance company. The organizations knew which houses were insured because they had fire mars or plaques mounted on the outside of the home to indicate it was insured. 
Frederick, not Berg or Ville, winky face, has some pretty interesting history. The station I'm currently assigned to, Station 2, has roots going all the way back to 1838. Station 3, which is a few blocks south of Station 2, has roots going all the way back to 1845. If I'm not mistaken, Frederick is also home to some of the oldest and rarest fire marks in the country, if not the world. Today, we are what's called a combination department, meaning volunteers and paid firefighters work together. There's also the different apparatuses we use, such as the engine that has the water for fires. We have rescue squads that carry equipment and tools for accidents and other entrapments, such as the Jaws of Life. There are many different versions of aerial apparatus designed for the area and its needs. If it's something you'd be interested in, let me know and I can get some good resource material for you. Thanks, Cesar. Wow, that is so cool. That would be very interesting, even just to hear what changes they've had to do to the house that they're in, the firehouse from 1838. Are you kidding? This is crazy. Yeah, I had no idea about any of that stuff that he was, that knowledge bomb he dropped on us. Yeah, that's a lot. That would be very cool to to research for sure. Definitely very interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. I think uh, we'll definitely have to think about that one. That would be fun. Yeah, so thank you so much for your email, Cesar. Also, missed opportunity for Frederick, Maryland to be named Fredericksburg, Maryland. Just saying, it's got a certain ring to it. Uh, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You, always, you like the French? You've been keeping with the French. First the Frere Jacques, and then now you're the <laughs> je ne sais quoi. <laughs> I like to maintain certain level of themes in each episode. Yeah, this is very thematic. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did uh, write him back, and I let him know that your brother is also a firefighter. Yes. And this might be something... We might cover in the future. Uh, what do you think, Isela? I think that would be so cool. My brother would, I think my brother would actually like to provide some kind of resources and stuff. I mean, he he gave us that uh, cool stat of like how every 30 seconds, a fire can double in size. What? That's insane. Can you imagine all the other cool nuggets, knowledge nuggets they got? Yeah. So we got <laughs> your brother and then we got my brother from another mother, Cesar. You got two good resources here. <laughs> I like that. Cool. That would be very cool. I'm totally down. We could probably prep that. Yeah. Might be another opportunity for us to initiate protocol number 52. 52. It's been a few episodes since we've done that. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Let's do it. Now, one thing I do know for sure, though, is that Cesar, you are our other super friend of the week. And you two can be super cool like Cesar by sending us an email at greetingstac at gmail.com. The G is for gangsta. Yeah, that's right. No need to have that FOMO, guys. Don't don't miss out. <laughs> and on that high note, Yay. we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669 if you have a story to share with us. Did you have a story to share? Because it looked like you wanted to say something, but you were muted. I was going to say something funny, but no. <laughs> okay. <laughs>